Hey, this is Taylor Strickland. I'm one of the pastors here at Second Baptist Church West Campus, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message teaches you, inspires you, and strengthens your faith. To learn more about our Second Students ministry, check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Just search Second Students West. Enjoy the message. Tonight we are going to be in Luke chapter 10, so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles on your phone right now to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25 in just a second. Again, welcome. Thank you for joining us for Live Online, whether you're on YouTube or Instagram. We are glad that you're here. And tonight I want to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan, my favorite parable out of all the ones that Jesus told. What is a parable? A parable is a way that Jesus taught. It's a story that he told to illustrate a point Many times it was in response to people when they asked a question. And so that's what happens in this story. Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan in response to something he has asked. So I want to start before we get into the story with a little bit of background. And that's in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. Here's what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question this expert in the law asked Jesus. And his response is, okay, you're an expert in the law, so what's written in the law? I love that by Jesus. He replied, how do you read it? And the man's response, the expert says, here's what I know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says back to him in the next verse, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I love Jesus' response. He doesn't say you're going to have eternal life. He doesn't say you're going to be with me forever. He doesn't say you'll go to heaven. He says you will live. And then there's an interesting thing that happens. This man is not okay with Jesus' response. He's not okay that Jesus says, yep, you got it. That's right. You nailed it. That's the way you can live. He doesn't just walk away and accept it. He continues on. And he says to Jesus, because he wanted to justify himself in verse 29, Who is my neighbor? That's what the verse tells us. Luke, the writer, tells us this man wanted to justify himself. And so he says, okay, I get it, Jesus. I I got you. I'm glad that's the way to receive eternal life. But who is my neighbor? See, this man was in a dangerous place. Because anytime you have to define who is your neighbor, you're in a dangerous place. We know as Christians, if you're a Christian watching that Jesus tells us that everyone, the Bible tells us that everyone is our neighbor. The least to the greatest, the wealthiest to the poorest, whatever color, whatever background you might be or they might be, everyone is your and my neighbor. But this man clearly is not okay with that. And I imagine him thinking to himself, man, the verse says, the law says to love my neighbor as myself. And I love myself a whole lot. Like I really love myself. I'm an expert. I got it all together. I know what I'm doing. People see me as a leader. And I love a handful of people in my life like I love myself. Like my wife, my kids, my grandkids maybe, whoever is really important to him. But Jesus, there are a few people who I just don't know if I can really love like myself. So Jesus, who are you talking about? Who's my neighbor? Who's in that category? And I love what Jesus does. He is so patient. Like there are so many times, y'all, that Jesus is patient with me and with you because we are humans and we make mistakes and we don't get it. 
And this man doesn't get it. And so Jesus says, okay, let me take this moment to really teach you. And he uses it as a teaching moment for all who are listening. And he uses the parable of the Good Samaritan, a story to illustrate a point. Here's what he says. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That's verse 30. Now imagine this. You're traveling much like this man, going from Jerusalem to Jericho, but for you, maybe it's Houston to Dallas because it was city to city. And this man is traveling on foot because he doesn't have a car, he can't drive. So he's traveling down the road, minding his business, doing his thing. His, his mind is focused on where he's going to see family or take care of some business or whatever it might be. And out of nowhere, this man is robbed, he is beat, and he's left for dead. He's literally dying. That's the picture that Jesus wants us to get, that this man can't help himself. He's dying. He's been mistreated. The things that happened to him were not because of anything that he did. And he is dying. And then it says in verse 31, someone else comes on the scene. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now stop there. Because these two men are very important and Jesus does everything that he does intentionally. And he intentionally names the first two people who happened to come by this Jew. By the way, this man who was dying was a Jew. He was a Jewish man by race, and by religion, his background, who he was. And two more Jewish men who were very high in the Jewish community, by the way, leaders, much like the expert who asked this question, priests and Levites were seen as spiritual religious leaders. In fact, the priests, they were the ones who went before God on behalf of the people for their sins. So you can picture that these two men were seen as amazing, as on the outside put together leaders. They set the standard for how to live in the Jewish culture. And when they had crowds of people listening to them, you better believe they pointed to the truth of God. But in a moment where they are alone and they are traveling and they have an agenda and they have a purpose, these two men who are leaders on the outside show what their heart looks like on the inside. And they see a man who is just like them, who is a Jew, who is broken, who is beaten, who is dying and suffering. And what do they do? They cross or pass by on the other side of the road. They get as far away as they can from the thing that they see. And it gives us a picture of what's really happening on the inside. Because on the outside, they look great. And they had it all together. And they would have been the, the two people who everyone would have, would have thought would have stopped for that man. But they didn't. And I wonder if in their heart, they were really battling conviction. Because I think it's important that Jesus says they passed or crossed by on the other side of the road. See, they got as far away as they could. They didn't go over and check on him. They didn't call 911, but, but avoid the situation. No, it says they saw him and they passed on the other side. They got as far away as they could because inside they knew they should stop and they should help and they should love. But they didn't do it. 
and they kept on going and they got as far away as they could. They acted like they didn't even see anything. How many times when God calls us to love and tells us to love, even when it's our enemy, even when it's someone we don't want to love, we get as far away as we can because we don't want to do what God calls us to do. You know why we do that at times and how we do that is, be, is we give excuses. There are many times in my life where God has called me to love people that I don't really want to love or I don't feel like I have the time to love or the ability to love or the capacity to love. And so I start making excuses that may or may not be true, but bottom line, they're excuses. That's what the priest and the Levite did. I don't have time. I got things to do. What are some excuses that we make many times when God says love? When God says go out of your way. God, I, I'm afraid. God, I don't know what to say to that person. Or God, I'm not qualified. Like, I'm not able. I'm too young. I'm a student. I can't tell or speak into the life or love that person or, or act like I know what they're going through or walk through this situation with them. God, I don't have the money financially to give and to support. I, I can't do that, God. We give excuses. But God doesn't want our excuses. God just wants us to love. The rule says, the law says, Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what does that really look like? That's what I want to end with talking about. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Let's watch who shows us this. The next verse in verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now a Samaritan man comes, this is important, this is intentional by Jesus. A Samaritan comes, a man who was the most unlikely person to ever help a Jew. Why? Because Jews and Samaritans hated each other, racially and religiously. So you have the very two people who everyone would have thought would have helped come by first. And then you have the man who comes by who would have never helped and had every right legally and logically to keep on going, to mind his own business. He's the man who stops and shows love and helps. The man who doesn't get along culturally and in every way with this Jew. Who probably feels oppressed by this Jew who probably feels like this Jew is angry at him and doesn't know why. For whatever reason, they didn't get along. And it had happened for many, many, many years. But it says, number one, that he saw. So I want you to see this. If we're going to love like Jesus tells us to love, loving our neighbors as ourselves. I think we, by the way, understand, and I said this earlier, that our neighbor is every single person, no matter who they are, what color they are, what background they are, what they believe, they are our neighbor and we should love like Jesus calls us to love. So the first thing we have to do is stop. This man stopped. He had an agenda. He had a purpose for why he was traveling down the same road, doing the same thing, going to or from Jerusalem. And instead of minding his own business and doing his own thing when he could have and should have, he stopped. Students, I want to challenge you to stop. If we're going to love people, we have to stop. What does that mean? It means that we press pause on our life and our agenda and our schedule and our wants and our needs. And here's a big one, our problems. Because yes, each and every one of us have problems and things that we go through. But let me tell you, there are people around you who are hurting just as much, if not more than you are. 
And so there are moments where we need to, yes, address things in our own life. And yes, take care of ourselves, but also press pause on our issues and things and open our eyes to the people around us who are hurting. How many times when you talk to somebody, do you look them in the eye during the entire conversation? How many times are you fully engaged in a conversation? How many times when you go to the gas station or to the mall or to school even, maybe it's to the grocery store, maybe it's wherever in public that you actually have conversations with people who you would normally just look at or talk to for a few seconds. Something I've been challenging myself with, to be more intentional, I think is a great word there. We must be intentional. Stopping means you're intentional. It means you press pause on the things in your life and you see the people around you who maybe God wants you to speak into or just to walk through life with or just to notice. And then he doesn't just stop, this Samaritan, but he also takes pity on this man. That's what the verse says. He took pity on him. And that word pity means compassion. And what I want us to get right now is not only if, if we're going to love people like Jesus calls us to love, not only do we need to stop, but we also need to empathize. That's a big word, empathize. That's what this man did. He empathized with the man, the Jewish man who was hurting and dying. The word empathize, it means this. To understand and share the feelings of another. If we're going to love our neighbors, we must understand and share the feelings of those people. By the way, empathy doesn't mean sympathy. I'm not talking about sympathy here. Sympathy means I feel sorry for you. Empathy says, I want to walk with you through what you're going through. I want to be right there by your side. I may not understand it. I may not get it. I may not ever experience what, exactly what you're experiencing, but I want to be right there with you. And I want to do the best that I can to help you, to support you, to be here for you, to help carry the weight that you feel, the burden that you feel, the suffering that you feel. And that man, he saw this Jewish man and he had empathy. He was empathetic toward him. So what did he do? He went to him and he helped. You know what having empathy means? It means listening. You know, people don't really need us to come into their life to fix their problems. They don't need you and me to come in and to correct their problems. They don't need me and you to come into their life and control the conversation and to tell them everything we know about what we're going through, what they're going through. What they need most of the time is for us to just listen. How often do you just listen to people? Do you just sit with them and hear them out? I want to challenge you to be a listener. We got to stop, we got to see, we got to listen. The last thing he did was he acted. In verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He didn't just stop. He didn't just empathize and take pity. He ran over to him and he bandaged his wounds. And he poured oil and wine and he put him on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and he paid for a place for him to recover and spend the night and become healthy again. He acted. Listen, love is in action. Love is tangible. Love is practical. Yes, thoughts of loving people are great. And yes, posting about how you love people is great. But you want to really show people how you love them? 
Do it tangibly. Do it practically. Step out and physically show them that you love them. Who in your life do you need to show tangibly and practically that you love them? Who needs to see that from you? That's the best way to love. Love in action is always best. So before we end with verse 35, I don't know where that landed on you. See, the Samaritan, he, he stopped, he empathized, and he acted. So maybe in your life, you need to stop more. You need to see more. You need to take the focus off of you and put the focus on them. Maybe it's, it's the empathy. Maybe you need to empathize more. Maybe there are black people in your life that God has put around you that you need to empathize with because many of them are hurting and are broken and are suffering and feel abandoned and neglected just like this Jew. Maybe it's your worst enemy, somebody that has wronged you and betrayed you and hurt you. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maybe you need to love your enemy by empathizing with what they're going through because chances are they hurt you because they're going through something deeper than you know. So maybe empathize with your enemy. Maybe it's somebody who's right next to you right now. Maybe it's somebody that God's putting on your heart. You just need to listen to. You need to seek to hear them out and to know what they're going through the best that you can. Maybe it's you need to put your love into action. You need to act more on it. Maybe there are some relationships and some people in your life that are coming to your mind right now as the Spirit's bringing them to your heart and thinking, I I need to just love them. I need to show them how I love them. I need to go out of my way to do something for them. Maybe it's through your words. I want to end with verse 35 because it's my favorite part of this whole story. The parable of the Good Samaritan. It says this, The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. You know what the coolest part of this entire story is? It's three words. Three words and they're right there in verse 35. He stops, he empathizes, he acts, he takes him to the inn, he pays for him to stay there. But then he says to the innkeeper, why this man is still passed out, he's still recovering, he's in his room, he's getting better, but he's got a long road ahead. He tells the innkeeper, I've got to go take care of my business, I've got to go see my family, I've got to do right now what I've got to do. But when I return, those are the three words, when I return, I will pay for everything else that this man did. He got a massage. He ordered room service. Great. Because when I return, I'll pay for it. Because I'm not going anywhere. Because I just established a relationship with this Jew, this man who I would have never connected with if God had not put an opportunity in front of me to reach out to him, to empathize with him, to love him, to show him that I care about him. And now we have a relationship. See, love begins and ends in a relationship, y'all. It begins and ends in a relationship with people. And our lives began, and they're hopefully gonna end in a relationship with God. See, God loves us enough to desire a relationship with us. You know why God loves you? You know why God loves me? You know why he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins and be the punishment and and be the scapegoat for every sin in the entire world for every human being? Why did he do that? Because he desires a relationship. Relationships are so important. And in relationships, that's where real love happens. It's in our relationship with God where we become sons and daughters of him. 
because we're his creation, because we're made in his image. So if God desires a relationship with us, number one, we should desire a relationship with him. That's most important, number one. Then we should desire relationships with other people, healthy, amazing, loving, nurturing relationships that are together through thick and thin, that are never gonna go away, that may get bumpy at times, but you know what? You know that person and that person knows that you care about them and they're with you and you're with them through the end of time. So what relationships in your life maybe do you need to take a look at and you need to invest in a little bit more? Maybe it's your relationship with God. Maybe it's your relationship with other people. What acquaintances that you've only met and talked to a handful of times do you need to create a relationship with that maybe God wants to use in your life and that person's life and in others' lives? Love begins and ends in relationships. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you that it says very plainly and clearly that loving your neighbor as yourself and loving the Lord God with everything that we have is what gives us life. God, so as we seek to love our neighbor, every single person, just as we care and love about ourselves, which is a whole lot, that you would give us the grace, you would give us the patience, you would give us the forgiveness, you would give us the wisdom to do that. Just as this Samaritan did. God, we thank you for the opportunities in front of us that we have to love. Let us leap and jump into those opportunities. Give us the spirit, power, love, and self-discipline. Cancel the spirit of fear. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.